Michael, this is all very confusing. This is On Markets with Remy Tino and Mike, the podcast where we decrypt and demystify economic, financial, and other investing concepts. In this episode, Tino will dive deeper into what he has coined the FOMO bull market, and we'll talk about the fourth item on his list of top 10 biggest mistakes he's made on his way to becoming a professional investor. For our third topic, Mike will continue the tax conversation from last episode as it relates to cryptocurrency and talk about some of the pitfalls of using some of the more popular free online trading platforms available. If you have any questions, comments, or would like us to discuss something on the show, please email us at comments at onmarkets.com. Also, don't forget to follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you like the show, give us a five-star rating. So, Mike, we're going to flip it around this week, and you're going to start. Yeah. Uh, I know that you were, last week we were talking about, about um, the tax consequences or, yep. or maybe the lack thereof, um, yeah. you know, with, with cryptocurrency. Um, I know you've been reading a little bit more about that this week, so why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, well, it made me curious, you know, this, um, you know, Robinhood has sort of created a whole new generation of, uh, of investors. And, and so I started thinking about it and I saw an article in the Wall Street that I thought was really interesting. Um, but before we get started, do you have either one of you guys actually been on Robinhood? Do you, either one of you have an account? So I actually um, had an account, I, I believe, right when they first launched. So this is going back maybe five years. I, mean, I was still living in the yeah, city, so I, about five years so ago. I'm sure it's changed. Um, it probably has yeah. changed. And to be honest, I used it maybe once or twice and, and moved yeah. on. So because we were talking about this, I thought that, you know, it would probably be helpful for me to actually have some experience with it if I was going to comment on it. So um, literally yesterday morning, um, I, I think you guys know my wife is, is studying for 65 and and she's a, a psycho studier. So I wake up at 3.30 in the morning and she's in bed, you know, with the glow of the, the laptop. Um, so I couldn't go back to sleep. So I, I started thinking about this and I grabbed my phone off the nightstand and literally downloaded the the robin hood app and so a couple things are striking to me one was that i was half asleep and it took me six minutes to create an account link my bank account and transfer 500 dollars and be ready to trade i mean it was the easiest most simple thing i've ever seen and and i and i completely under i mean it's whoever designed that did a phenomenal job at getting people up and trading immediately the other thing that struck me was that it was probably designed by a video game designer because the first thing it does is it tells you that what, you know, when you log on, they give you a free share of stock. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this or not. Yeah, I did know that. But, but what pops up are these three little gift boxes. And it, it reminds me of like, if you're playing like, you know, Candy Crush or Toy Blast or one of these goofy games, these time waster games, and they give you like these free power-ups if you watch, you know, watch an ad. That's exactly what it looks like. And you you click on one of these boxes and it reveals the, the free stock that they've given you. I got a, a free share of something called CBay, believe it or not. Not eBay, but I got CBay. And it's and it's a it's a four dollar stock. And as soon as I got it, it then asked me to um, to enter the names and emails of other people that I could refer to them and when they open and get their free share of stock i will get another free share of stock so i mean they're genius about the way they they create users and and it was very video gameish. It, it was just it was just very striking to me i i, I get how they've gotten to the size they got so did quick. you put any trades in four dollar client acquisition what's that tino did you put any trades in 
I didn't. I didn't. I mean, I had to, I did connect an account. Like I said, I transferred 500 bucks over just to, to sort of play with, but I haven't done anything with it. It was literally yesterday morning at 3.30 in the morning. I haven't even looked at it since. So I don't know if you saw the news about a week or two ago, Robinhood agreed to drop their confetti um, reaction that they I did the see that. You, yeah, I, I, yeah. The trade. Yeah, there was no conf- there was no confetti that I felt. Uh, yeah, they didn't celebrate my opening account. <laughs> I was curious if that, if that release had made it in yet or not. Yeah, no confetti for me. So anyway, um, anyhow, so I again, I just thought it was interesting. Um, you know how they're getting users and 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 how they're appealing to people and why the average age is like you know. 29 or whatever it is the person that uses it but um the article that got me interested was this was this article in, in the wall street about um sort of the tax pitfalls of people that um have become sort of new traders as the, or, or new investors i guess they call them investors i'm not really sure it's investing but um and how you can't use any of the the or it's very very difficult to use any of the standard sort of tax planning strategies that you might use um for instance um if you're going to, you know, a lot of people will, will buy stock, especially the, the small stocks people are buying in there, right? And they're volatile. And so somebody starts buying, you know, I don't know, GameStop or whatever it happens to be. And it's it's $2 now and it's $3 and it's $4. And people keep buying it. So they have these different lots that they buy at different prices. Um, in traditional um, trading platforms, when you sell those stocks, you're able to identify which of those lots you sell so that you can control your, your taxes. Um, most of these online trading platforms, whether it's you know SoFi or Public or WebBull or any of these, none of those actually allow you to, to choose specific uh, stock lots. And they, so they, what they do is it's, it's first in, first out. So in, a, in an upward market, you know, typically your first purchase is gonna be your least expensive. You're gonna pay the most tax. And I don't think that, that most people realize that. Um, part of the article talks about people that have actually slowed down using these things because they, you know, they're, they're young. A lot of these guys are young kids with no experience. They have no idea what the tax consequences are and they've had some pretty good success. And at the end of the year, they get hit with a big tax bill and there's, there's no way to manage that. Um, you can't manage wash sales. Uh, you, you can't, you can, all the traditional things that you would typically do, you can't do. Now, to be fair, um, Robin hood does actually, allow you to to choose specific tax lots but you can't do it when you actually sell um i'm sorry uh, stock lots you can't actually do it when you sell the stock uh you have to wait until it settles then they send you an email and um in the fine print of the trade confirmation uh they tell you that, that you have to send an email with six data points uh it includes dates and prices before and after the trade settles um and then you they assign you a case number. It's like a ticket. You get a ticket number. And then they tell you that they will try to get to the approval within seven days. Although right now with tax season, apparently they're, they're 30 days behind and there's no guarantee that they sort of grant your specific tax, uh, uh, or your, uh, specific stock lot has been traded. So it's really weird. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know that, that I would, other than to, to trade, you know, just sort of play with this. I don't know that I would ever actually invest with this stuff because, you know, as we know, you know, managing your taxes over a period of time can change your return pretty substantially. So how much do you think that, that um, relates to the type of customer they're getting? 
right? Or the type of customer they expect. You know, if, if you're somebody who opens up an account with, do they have a minimum? Do you know? Uh, you know, I don't even know. I didn't okay, I don't remember. Assuming shot they, they yeah, I was going to say, assuming they, they don't, I would think you would have a tremendous amount of, of users that are opening accounts for a couple hundred bucks or a thousand dollars or whatever, you know, and they're making all their trades or, or, or whatever. But, you know, the, the tax consequence for, for these people is, is I would assume are sort of somewhat irrelevant. Um, you know, it's not enough money to, to worry too much about it. So, so I'm wondering if, you know, the assumption was this is what our client acquisition is going to look like. We're going to pick up, you know, the majority of our client base is going to be, you know, a net worth of under X and, you know, it's not enough, uh, to warrant putting in the development time and cost to build this out on our app, or if it's just an oversight. My my guess is it's not an oversight. It looks to me I like wouldn't they, put think a lot, so. they put a lot of thought into this thing, right? <laughs> right. They, they spent a lot of time creating those little gift boxes for free stocks. You know, I don't I don't think that they would have. Uh, I don't think they would have skipped that. You know, unintentionally. Um, it's it's interesting because it. I actually look at it because the the first thing that you were talking about was was about the gift boxes and how it looks like it's it's, you know, designed by a, a video game developer. And as you were talking about that, my thought was, you know, that's sort of. Uh, showcases the the difference um, that you're seeing right now with 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 fintech, but with all all technology, where you're seeing um, all of these new applications and all these new platforms that are being uh, released that in the past were spearheaded by a financial institution, right? A financial institution went out and and said, okay, you know, we we need this particular feature. So we're going to hire some developers and, you know, we're going to spearhead that development. Whereas I don't think you see that anymore. I think now you see people who are application developers that see a need in a specific industry and build the application for that industry. Right. So when you're talking about the gift box box thing, that's what I was thinking about is, is you're really starting to see the difference between app developers who are coming into a space to build an app for a space versus the industry that needed something that, that went out and, and hired developers to build that for them. But now I'm actually thinking about it also when, when we were talking about this, it's sort of from the opposite side. So it, the advantage of that is you get these great apps that look amazing and they're easy to use and, and they're easy to sign up. But on the flip side, maybe you get oversights like this because these people often tend to not be from that industry or you may have a few that are from the industry, but they're not, you know, the, the, the development isn't being spearheaded by that industry entity. Well, also, it'd be interesting to know if, you know, when they created this, you know, I, I'm sure they, they sort of defined who their, their target audience was, right? And um, now there's speculation that a lot of this money that's being invested was, was money that would have gone towards lottery tickets and money that would have gone to the casino because, you know, because this is a game. It's not investing, right? It's a game to these people, and which is probably why they don't care about taxes, you know, if they if they go if they buy a lottery ticket, you know, it's it's a scratch off and, and it's over in, in two seconds. You know, this at least, you know, I, I can I can buy a stock right by instead of a lottery ticket and I can watch it for a while. I get more interaction. It goes up and down. I play around with it. And, you know, who cares about the taxes? And, and I, I do think that there's that, that there's an, an element of that. Um, Plus, short I, short of actually winning that lotto, this has got to be better every in every other situation. Yeah, right. The, the lottery, the lottery tickets over in, in two seconds, right? I, I spent two bucks on a ticket and or whatever it happens to cost. I don't even know anymore. And, 
and it's over in however long it takes you to scratch off the thing. This, you know, you buy a stock and, and you, you know, you got something to watch for however long, you know, before it goes to zero, you know, I don't know. Um, but it, it is, it, it's crazy. It's really, it, it, I, I wonder if it's, it will create a new generation. If it's sort of a gateway drug to people that, that will actually learn how to invest, you know, it's like, remember a few years ago, um, when guitar hero came out and it was so huge for a while. And there was, I remember reading a story about like guitar center benefited tremendously because all these kids that, that picked up guitar hero and, and, and got so great at it. It was like, you know, Hey, I want to actually try to play the guitar. And it, and it created a, a demand for guitars and guitar lessons and all this stuff for actual guitars. So I wonder if this will have the same sort of effect. It might, except for most of these investors, um, a lot of them, they're going to get their faces ripped off at some point. So, something's going to happen. <laughs> it just is because, and, and you know, Mike, you, we've we talked a lot about these articles that have been going back and forth. These they're being quoted in national newspapers saying, I don't know what the F I'm doing. I have no clue what's going on. <laughs> and gaining yeah, followers just, because of it, right? And gaining yeah. followers. Yeah. They're, um, they're bragging. They're bragging about being idiots. I, I yeah. can't, I, yeah, I, I can't figure out when, when ignorance became a virtue. Did I miss something here? Uh, it's, it's I crazy. can't because it's easy to relate to for 99% of the population. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> That's probably true. So I think we, that comment's we getting me zero likes on that survey, by the yeah, way. Yeah, no question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think we're like seven minutes in before Tito talked about somebody getting their face ripped off, which which I think is a new record. I love I love that I love that Tito has to express that with such you know I don't know gusto face ripped off. It's like you just I want you, you, I want you to happens. understand the pain. Oh, it's, it's, there's nothing like it. Cause you just sit there and like, God, if I could all, and because the problem is you, you, you're warned a million times not to do it, not just by us on this podcast or by, you know, some famous journalists or whatever it might be, but everybody's telling you this is crazy. And, and, you know, again, it's like one of those lessons where you're just not going to learn until something bad happens to you. And when it happens to you, then it's going to be cemented in your DNA going forward. Uh, my generation, you know, I was 22, 23 years old coming out of school during uh, back in 1999, right? So I went into management consulting. I was dealing with technology companies and I thought I knew what I was doing and I lost every single dime that I put into the stock market, had no clue what I was doing. And what did that do? That made me to go back and try this thing again and actually put some fundamental analysis behind it. Th this is going to happen to this cohort. It just is. Um, uh, Nobody knows when, but you know, it's going to happen. And when it comes to Robinhood, especially, you know, one of my favorite quotes, it's actually from the media industry and I don't know who said it, but it goes something like this. If there are no costs for you, if there are no costs for a product you use, then you are no longer the customer. You just became the product. And I think that's what people need to remember about Robinhood is that this, this thing's free for a reason. You know, they're not doing a public service by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, they're making money. And their incentives are not necessarily designed to get you better tax savings. Their incentives are how much more can we get you to trade because we're selling our order flow to Citadel and Virtu and uh, a couple other of these, these, big, these big companies. So uh, I think on the list of technological updates at Robinhood, tax loss, harvesting and tax lots and all this other stuff is probably pretty low on the list right now. Yeah, they just don't care. They just don't care. 
Yeah. Well, I wouldn't either. Probably if I was making that much money, right? No. And 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 again, like Remy said, I don't think a lot of these guys care, right? They're 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 listen. They they had three hundred bucks, and and now it's you know three or four or five thousand bucks. And if they got to pay some tax, who cares? I just don't think they know they have to pay it, right? They just they don't even think about it. There's they're just they're just ignorant of the fact that you know the whole thing works that way. I mean, a lot of them might not even be, end up paying taxes this year, so you know. Yeah, that's true too. But anyhow, I just thought the whole thing was interesting. It was it was a good article, and uh, you know, made me look at it from a different perspective that I I hadn't really thought about before. So Tino, tell us about FOMO bull market. For those of you who don't know what FOMO is, F O M O, it stands for fear of missing out. Yeah, some some some. Uh... Interesting news has come across the way over the past week or so. Uh, and I will, I will preface this by saying that 2021 has been, there's been no shortage of drama this year so far. Uh, but some pretty funny stories, but they're the kind of the underlying currents actually tying a lot of what we're talking about here. So uh, we, we talked about Dogecoin, I don't know, what was it, like a month and a half ago, something, two months ago, a couple something months like ago, that. sure. So a refresher. So Dogecoin is a cryptocurrency that was created as a joke. It was basically uh, these two developers, I believe in the Bay Area, um, and I don't wanna put words in their mouth, I think they thought the whole Bitcoin thing a couple years ago was a little absurd, so they created this fake cryptocurrency called Dogecoin, put a picture of a Shibu Inu as the mascot, and I guess released it out there on the, block, with the, on the blockchain. So uh, this thing got real popular this year, and it's up a lot. Uh, Right now, uh, as actually when we first talked about Dogecoin, I had mentioned a, a funny statistic at the time that it was more, worth more than Xerox after Mark Cuban and Snoop Dogg, Gene Simmons, and I think it was, who's the other one? Obviously, Elon Musk uh, tweeted about it. Well, as of this week, Dogecoin is now worth more than Ford, the, the automotive company, Ford, and Kraft. So that means it's worth more than, it has a higher than a $50 billion market cap. And, and, and again, remind, let's remember here that this is a cryptocurrency that was created as a joke to make fun of cryptocurrencies. And it has a market cap higher than Ford. So, so what does it do? What is the purpose of Dogecoin? Is it, is it well, to be used okay, as you a know, currency? I'm going to get to that. Like, I don't I'm even know what it is. You know, it's, that's, a, that's a valid question, and I'm going to get to that in a second, because if the Bitcoin community is, is losing their minds over this, right? If you believe, if the, 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 the purists, the crypto purists, if you can imagine that, um, <laughs> believe that Dogecoin is completely absurd, and it has no technical superiority to Bitcoin, and they're going all crazy about this, right? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause on that for a second, because I, I, I just, I found an amazing chart. Uh, basically, uh, an analyst put this chart together showing that if you put the three stimulus checks that the U.S. government has sent out over the last year, right, three different rounds of stimulus, if you invested those the day you received your check into Dogecoin, you would have over $300,000 today. So the stimulus adds up to, wow. what is it, like $3,300, $3,400, something like that, over three rounds of st yeah. stimulus checks, over 300 k so what about these these goofballs that created it? I mean, did it do what did it do for them? I I don't even really know how that works. I mean, oh, they've been interviewed a few times. They're like, 
again, I don't, I, I don't know it top off my head, but they're basically like, we, we, we don't know what's going on either. I mean, but are they filthy rich from this? Do they? I think they, they said no, they, they still own a couple fame, of coins, I think. but yeah, apparently one of them sold a lot of them a couple of years ago because you know it, it got popular quick, but just in kind of that crypto community, and then. It's like all these these SPACs that are going on right now, the special purpose acquisition companies that are going out and, and doing reverse mergers. I mean, you get like Snoop Dogg or Oprah or some big name behind it, and there's a lot of popularity. Yeah. So, you know, you, you asked what you can do with Dogecoin earlier. I'm almost certain that you can use it to buy Dallas Mavericks tickets because of uh, Mark Cuban. I'm almost certain they accept Dogecoin as payment. I'd have to source That's that. That's crazy. But you, know, you asked earlier about what is it? Uh, like I said, Bitcoin purists are, are upset about this thing, but I, I'm actually in a weird, awkward position right now defending Dogecoin. Why is Bitcoin any better? I mean, it's, this is something that you put on a wall. It's an NFT, it's a piece of art, it's a baseball card, it's a Pokemon card. It has value because a bunch of people says that it has value and they perceive value in it, but it doesn't do anything. So uh, why is Dogecoin any worse than Bitcoin or Ethereum? Or I'm sure there's a app better applica application for some of these cryptos versus others. But for all intents and purposes, people aren't buying any of this stuff for transaction. They're not buying it for currencies. So yeah, do people want to say Dogecoin's got a lot of value in it? I mean, who am I to, to argue? Well, you know, we, we compared it to gold in the past, right? It's the same thing. It's just, the, it's exactly. just that it's, it, it's just that it's so different than what we're used to hearing that we get like cranky about it. No, you know, that's just it's, it. It's new. It's, it's, uh, it's something that we don't understand. Gold's got a couple thousand years of perceived value because I don't know, it's shiny. There's religious, uh, there's a religious component to owning gold. And for a long time, a lot of banks use it to backstop their currencies, but ultimately there's absolutely no utility whatsoever for gold in industry other than jewelry. At least That's it's tangible. It. At least it's tangible. You can see you can it, hold, hold it. it, right? You yeah. can't. You can't even do that with crypto. Yeah. You can well, buy one you know, of those coins with a little with a little Shiba Inu on it, if you'd like, to represent yeah. your digital holdings. Is there Again, such a thing? Is there an actual? <laughs> I believe physical there actually coin? is. Yeah. I don't know that it actually represents the the actual holdings that you have, but I, you know, you can buy them. You can buy the bitcoins too. Actually, I believe they've. That you actually can get a physical Bitcoin, but I don't know that it's actually tied to your Bitcoin holdings. No, nah, it's like it's like buying uh, one of those hundred trillion dollar bills for, from Zimbabwe on eBay. It, there you go. Little, I was gonna say like those flattened it. pennies. Well, maybe yeah. they could put a they they could put a chip on it and store an NFT on it or something, right? And then it would have the value. You know what? Honestly, maybe that would be weird if they did an NFT of the first right it Dogecoin. Would shape it like a coin. I don't know. Blockchain enter. I don't know. I'm, I'm out of my league on this one. So that, that's a weird story, but uh, this, th there's another one out there right now. So I don't, I, we talked a couple of weeks ago and I, excuse me, I wrote like a week or two ago about some of the resources that I use that it's like free research basically that any investor can get access to. What I love to do is I love to read quarterly and annual letters from investors, professional investors that know what they're doing, particularly hedge fund managers, because you, you gain a lot of insight from, from these individuals because they tend to be, frankly, some of the better investors out there. So one of them is David Einhorn, and he is a very famous hedge fund manager. He made a lot of money. He runs a, a firm called Greenlight Capital. And on Friday of last week, he had, he had his letter to investors, which is generally speaking, 
uh, pretty informational, but also entertaining. And he actually pointed out this company in that letter called Hometown International. Now, this is a publicly traded company. Uh, I think it's traded over the counter, uh, which is, you know, pink sheet, penny stock type situation. Uh, it's a company that owns a single deli in rural New Jersey. It had $21,000 in sales in 2019, only $13,000 in 2020 uh, due to the COVID crisis, but has a market cap of $120 million or $113 million. So that doesn't make any sense. Uh, the largest shareholder is also the CEO, CFO, treasurer, and a director who also happens to be the wrestling coach of the high school next door to the deli. Uh, I'm guessing he also makes the sandwiches too. I, I, would, I would like to think so. Yeah. So, uh, it, so I, I did a little bit more research on this because I, I had to know. Uh, and if you look into the S1 filing, I didn't do the work. Matt Levine did this. So I, I read his, uh, his, his daily uh, column. He basically pointed out that enough warrants have been issued on this company to a couple people uh, based out of, I think, China and Hong Kong, that the market cap is actually closer to $2 billion. So something shady is going on here. Yet this thing exploded in volume after Einhorn pointed it out. So David Einhorn went out and said, this is how crazy the market is right now in some of these, these areas um, and how dangerous it is right now for investors. And what do investors do? They start buying more of it. They start trading more of this. This thing traded a couple hundred shares, I think a day or a week. Now you're seeing tens of thousands of shares traded. It, it, it's complete lunacy. Uh, and I think his point was, one, uh, what the hell are the regulators doing right now? And, I, you know, we don't want to call out the SEC publicly too much because, you know, that doesn't help us. But ultimately, the, w what's going on here? I mean, how can this how th how can things like this happen? You, you've got this company that's this. There's something clearly going on. But two, why are people buying this thing? And now that the now that this is created even more interest in the stock, I mean, it's, it's absolutely it's, it's lunacy. Well, my real question is this wrestling coach or football coach or whatever he is, does this guy still own these shares and can he sell them? And if he can, why hasn't he? So it's interesting you say that. And I, and I have to dig into the details a little bit. Basically, because the stock has surged so much, yes, he has the right to sell them, but his warrant strike price, I think, I think the warrants are anywhere between $1.20 to $1.40. I'm making those numbers up, but it's, it's just over a, a buck a, a warrant, somewhere in that range. The stock's trading at like 13 or 14 a share right now. So think about the opportunity there. They could, he could sell his shares, retain his warrants, and then exercise his warrants and collect the spread on that. I mean, he's massively in the money on those warrants. Yeah, why, why is he not doing Maybe he is, I don't know. But maybe I, he is, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 the publicity I mean, around I, this thing I, right I now. I couldn't do this fast enough if I'm that guy, right? Yeah, well, he better be doing it fast enough because, because, because of Einhorn and now all the publicity around it. I mean, this is a national story now to a degree. And I got to think at this point, uh, he and his two backers, who I guess he's been paying consulting fees to, uh, a monthly $15,000 consulting fee to, uh, that are, I think, from what I understand, shell companies based in Hong Kong and Macau, uh, they're probably either moving very quickly or... Uh, Let's just throw the joke out on the table here. Maybe they're selling and moving all their money into Dogecoin to hide it from the regulators. I don't there know. you go. You know what, though? The, the term, the FOMO bull market, though, is, is the perfect term for this, right? Because you hear about it. It's clearly something that, that you know, doesn't make any sense at all. But because of the, the media surrounding it and because of the publicity, you're, what's your thought? Your thought is something's going on here. I don't understand it, but other people do. So I better get in on the action. <laughs> right? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, and look, I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I mean, I feel it sometimes. I'll be completely honest. I see GameStop surging and I look, I mean, I've seen one or two short squeezes in my time and um, I've seen people make a good hit, a good, a lot of, a lot of money on these things like these before. And, you know, the temptation is there, but uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe it is having too much experience in this business to tell me this is not a really good idea. That's, I agree with you. That is exactly what it is, right? I, I think yeah. you, you have, um, I don't know if you guys, you remember the show Scrubs? I don't know if you yeah. guys watched that when it used to be on. I used to yeah. love that show. And there was an episode where I don't really remember what was going on, but, but I just remember that uh, one doctor was talking to another doctor about his kid being sick. And, and the doctor was really worried about every little you know, sniffle or whatever. And one doctor says to the other doctor, you, know, you have the curse of knowledge, right? You know too much. You know all the things that can go wrong. And that's why you're so worried. And it just stuck with me. But, but th- that's exactly what you're saying, right? You, Tino, you have the curse of knowledge. You, you know why this is such a, a bad scenario and, and you know that it's going to end badly. So you stay away from it. But because of that, you miss out on the opportunity that you know, the other 99.9% of, of the world doesn't miss out on because they jump in, in on it. And you know, some of those people are, are as you put it, going to get their faces ripped off, but, but others won't. You know, and those are the people that are going to talk the loudest about, about, you know, how they made a ton yeah. of money and this and that, and whatever. And the next time something like that comes around, you know, everybody else is going to jump on it again. Yeah, there's a, there's, but there's a great quote from Warren Buffett, uh, and I'm probably going to screw this up, but basically he said, why would you ever risk something you need for something you don't? And that's the way I look at it. You know, I, I, from, and, and this, this ties into our business, you know, when we, when we talk to our clients, you know, we get client calls all the time about this stuff. Mike, I know you deal with them more than I do. Uh, but Hey, I want to buy Bitcoin or what do you think about AMC or Dogecoin or whatever it may be. And, you know, our business is, is achieving financial goals. I mean, it's, it may sound hokey, but I mean, that's ultimately what the business is. And, you know, why would you risk something that you need for something you don't, if you want to speculate on this stuff, Hey, knock yourself out. You want to put five grand or 10 grand or, or, or a hundred bucks in, you know, have at it. Just know that if it goes to zero, it, it just don't let it, it alter your financial goals. So, so I have a quote for you, Tino, that, that seems appropriate. Where ignorance is bliss, tis folly to be wise. I have no idea who said it, but it seems appropriate for what we're talking it about. It definitely is. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, look, I'm normally you don't want to wish ill will on people. And I guess I don't really want to in this instance either, but, uh, you <laughs> know, I, I, I believe you can barely wait for people like the, 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 this, the crash your bread. You're definitely going to get some malicious enjoyment out of it when it happens. I can already tell. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Or, or if I end up being wrong in this one and you know, everybody makes money except for me on, on these cryptocurrencies, I'm, I don't know. Maybe it's one of those things you're going to have to go look back and say, well, maybe there was something I missed, but, uh, this is, um, I mean, this is just, it, it's crazy. It's, it's, I, I can't, I can't get behind it. I, but, but ultimately I, I'm not, I can't tell you why it's going to end. You know, usually when you're in a bubble type situation, you're waiting for some type of inflection point a turning point. Uh, how is that going to happen? You know, right now? I mean, because I think the drivers, of all these things we've been talking about have been a place for a while. Mike, you mentioned earlier about a replacement for gambling. I mean, you're absolutely right. If you see where the revenues for Robinhood and some of these other trading apps, Hertz, remember Hertz last year when it was bankrupt, 
their stock went up in bankruptcy. They ended up issuing more equity yeah. during bankruptcy. Yeah. Um, all these things were happening because it, the theory back then was because sports were canceled. You couldn't bet on sports. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to your point, you couldn't go to Vegas. You couldn't go to the casino. So that's where all this money went in. I, now that the government's basically handing people checks in the mail and it doesn't look like it's going to end anytime soon, I, why would this stop anytime soon? I don't know. So, Tino, we've been working our way through your, your top 10 list of biggest mistakes you've made on your way to becoming a professional investor. Number four, I, I actually think number four um, is a, a good piece of advice in life. I, I don't think it has anything to do with investing, although you know, it, it's certainly applicable there too, which is lack of confidence. Yeah. No, you're right. It is for life. You know, I, I think I got this. Um, I'll, I'll even extend that past investing. You know, when I was in um, high school and college, I played basketball and volleyball and got pretty competitive for a while. And I'll, I'll, I, rem- I, I used to remember no matter how well we were doing, the, the millisecond I felt like I was better than somebody, something bad happened to me. And I tried to carry that into my career. It didn't work out so well. And when I first started in this business, probably like all these people right now making a ton of money flipping uh, meme stocks, I'm like, this is easy. I was tra- I, I actually got in the business. I started trading options for myself because I felt like the math was kind of cool. And I was like, oh, I'll play around with this for a while. And I was making, a, relatively speaking at the time, a lot of money. Uh, and then I made even more money. And I'm like, this is easy. So I started buying stocks. And then, um, well, guess what happened? I started losing a lot of money and losing and losing. And I realized I had no process behind it. And then I got the process. But even then, you, you realize that uh, emotions are viruses in this business. Good or bad, doesn't matter. Euphoria, greed, stupidity, fear, panic, they're all viruses. So if you're trying to filter out the fear and the panic to make sure you can make good investment decisions going forward. But that euphoria and greed, in my mind, is way more dangerous. And if you think for a second you're good, I mean, look, I, I've been, I, used to, I used to consult to the Michael Jordans of this business, right? Uh, you know, I was joking around, I was a tennis coach to Andre Agassi. Like, th- these people were so good at what they did that they didn't need me, really. And... I always was impressed by the fact that they approached this business emotionless, like they were almost computers. Uh, and that's the one thing I tried to take away because it doesn't matter how good you are. I mean, you are going to get creamed as a professional investor one or two times. It's going to happen. And I've just found, and I don't believe in fate too much, I guess, but I've found that the second you start to get cocky or confident, or you feel like, Hey, this business really isn't all that bad. You let your guard down. You just, it's somewhere in your head and I don't know how or why it happens, but you let your guard down and something slips by, slips past the goalie and you end up putting yourself in a tough situation because you now introduce risk into the process. So nowadays, like no matter how well our portfolios are doing, in a weird way, I get more nervous, not more confident when I start seeing that happen. Well, listen, you need some sort of negative consequence to keep you diligent, right? I mean, that's, that's, it's with that, like that with everything, you know, you, you do something you, you probably shouldn't do, you get a little bit careless and there's no immediate ne- negative consequence, you become emboldened, right? And you get a little more careless. That's just it's human nature. And I think that's sort of what, what happens. I think that's what you're talking about. Well, I'm sure it's happened to you, Mike. I mean, you've, you know, you started a couple of companies, you've been pretty successful at doing that and selling them. I mean, look, I, I don't, you tell me, I mean, if, if I do something in business, or I, I do a transaction or whatever it may be, an MA opportunity, you feel like a genius, I mean, that's going to cloud your decisions going forward. 
you know, I, I, I jokingly say that I'm, I'm sort of like the, the, the Bill Parcells of, of, uh, of business managers. Cause I, I never think about, you know, I never think about the good stuff. It, it, it terrifies me to think about the good stuff. I, I always, no matter how good it gets, I always go, you know, the, it, it could have been better. We should have, you know, we, we should have done this. We should have done that. I, once in a while, you know, I, I feel like I should sit back and enjoy, you know, successes when I have them. Um, but I'm, I'm afraid to do it, to be honest with you. I really am. It's exactly what you're talking about. I'm just terrified of getting comfortable and getting complacent. So how do you avoid that? So, because I don't know if you guys have been to Vietnam. Um, I've been a few times, but the first time I went, um, I, I, I attempted to cross the street and it took me a good hour. Uh, because in Vietnam, it, it, there's no traffic laws. So you have streets that, you know, in some cases might be you know, five, six, seven, ten lanes wide with bumper to bumper traffic. Uh, 90% of it is, is scooters. And there, there's no walk sign. There's no stop sign. There's nothing. There's no, no laws. So the custom is that you just start walking across the street with the expectation that the drivers are going to go around you. Um, and you know, as an American, that is not an easy thing to do at all. Um, so, so I sat there literally for a good hour. I mean, I watched people walking across the street, you know, locals and things. And at some point you literally just have to close your eyes and, and walk and, and, you know, hope you get to the other side. Um, after that experience, um, or I should say during that experience, um, because I had been with a few other people, uh, at the time. And, you know, I think I was the first one to get across and, you know, over the course of the few other times that I've been there, I've been with people that haven't been, and I've sort of, uh, adopted this, this motto of, of you hesitate, you die. Right. And, 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 and that's sort of crept into a lot of other places in, in my life. I, I feel like, which is a little bit opposite of what you're saying. Um, you know, so how do you strike a balance between the two? Who are you asking? Because you're asking me, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not that easy, right? Yeah. But you hesitate and, you know, you combine, you combine that hesitation with, uh, with your, your curse of knowledge. And, uh, you know, you miss out on a lot, a lot of opportunities. Um, Listen, you know, but, but like of- you said, you, right, you get too confident and, and too cocky. And all of a sudden you get your face ripped off. So, so how, do you, how do you balance that? There have been plenty of, and I had, it's funny you bring that up. I had the exact same experience in China, right? Standing on the side of the, of the street and there's, you know, and not only is the traffic bumper to bumper, but it's going at about 40 miles an hour, like <laughs> yeah. an inch apart. It's crazy, but it was the same deal. And, and we had like a guide and, and that's literally, she said, you just have to close your eyes and, and go. Um, but, but there have been plenty of times that I've sort of come across an opportunity and had that sort of pep talk with myself. You know, I just gotta, I just gotta close my eyes and go. You know, sometimes it doesn't work, and 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 when I, yeah. w- when that happens, you know the the regret is is brutal. It, it's like you, tenfold you sit, of what it normally. Oh, it's a right? hundred times worse because right. you go, God, I thought about this twenty times. I knew it was stupid, and how did I talk me into myself into doing it? So yeah, it, I have no idea. It's a good question. Yeah, well, that you know, we always talk about here. Markets are accountable to Darwin, not Newton. I mean, I think that a large portion of that is because. Investment decisions, good or bad, uh, you can only f- filter out so much emotion. You know, here we rely heavily on quantitative approaches and algorithms and whatnot to to do some of the filtering. But ultimately, 
uh, it's tough because if you think every idea is bad, well, then you got a problem because optimist tends, optimism tends to pay really well in this business, but too much optimism, like anything else tends to hurt you. So it's, it's a balance. And, uh, I, maybe that maybe this is why people like, uh, Carl Icahn and Warren Buffett and all these legendary investors in their eighties now, or however old they are, um, still make these bonehead mistakes along the way. You, you just can't get it right. You just hopefully, you know, the, the winners are a little bit better than your losers. Let's end it there. This podcast is created and presented by Darwin Asset Management, LLC and Darwin Advisors, LLC, collectively referred to as Darwin. Darwin does not make any representation or warranties and therefore takes no responsibility as to the accuracy, timeliness, suitability, completeness, or relevance of any information contained in this podcast. Any tax or legal information contained in this podcast is general in nature. Always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. The information presented does not involve the rendering of personalized investment advice. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk and there can be no assurance that any investment or strategy will be suitable or profitable for a client's portfolio. All investment strategies have the potential for profit and loss. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Information presented is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation of any offer to buy or sell the securities mentioned herein.